शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय घोर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंद हरि हरि ओ सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू माई अफेक्शनेट ग्रीटिंग्स फ्रॉम कलकाता इन दिस केस आई अराइव हियर येस्टरडे फ्रॉम श्री मायापुर धम वेल बी स्टे हियर फॉर फ्यू डेज बिफोर गो एंड टर्निंग टू डेली एंड देन to Brindavan for Kartik and here I am find myself in a place called Bhaktivedanta Research Center as you may imagine by the quantity of books that is only a few quantity the one that you can see here which is a very very special place where they are taking care and and with many services regarding researching and finding and digitalizing and taking care of different grantas not only godia grantas but different books connected with india and its traditions social historical spiritual philosophical so very very interesting project and i i was invited to stay some days here and i was also interested in knowing the place and getting more acquainted with their service here so i arrived yesterday and quite looking forward to to the experience these days here before turning to shri brindavan down for kartik So let's begin with our series of exchanges for today Q&A. Um I have some questions that had been sent to me this time. I have a few of them, like five. <laughs> so of course with these five I have the whole meeting already done full, but of course I will like to give place if some of the ones connected live also have any questions, please in that case uh, you can send it via written form in the chat or you can um raise your hand or unmute yourself and present whatever question you may have uh, i will begin nonetheless with some of the questions that have been sent to me in advance uh, this week along this week and if you have any other question that may come or a follow up question or something you have for the ones connected live you can unmute or send a message or whatever if not i continue with the questions that have been sent to me So I will begin with the first one who was sent by Dayal Nitai Prabhu from Bulgaria. He sent two questions so we'll begin with the first one um which says like this Is talking badly to ourselves a jiva aparada like saying things like saying such saying things such as I'm lazy stupid and so on that was his uh clarification so that's the first question so before answering to the question in itself i will clarify some points for those of you who may not be that familiar with some of these ideas so the concept of jiva aparada jiva referring to the to our self as to the self as spiritual embodied souls atmans Uh, Bhaktivinotakur interestingly makes that particular category hmm, when he speaks about different types of anarthas speaking in four four categories and one of the four categories is aparad hmm, and he subdivides 
this category of operad or offense, generally translated as such, he trans, uh, subdivides that in four different uh, categories. One of them is jiva operad. The other ones are the classical ones connected to Srinam, to the word, to the form of Bhagavan, to the Vaishnava, and so on. But he presents this particular notion of jiva operad, which will be offenses against other uh, living beings, against any other other living entities. So the question here is not specifically as to why that particular category is there, but if talking about it, if talking bad to ourselves is a form of jiva parad. Or, and, like, and he gives example like things, stuff like I'm lazy, I'm stupid, and so on. So, in reply to this question, we could say, of course, um, it depends on every particular case because saying I am lazy, it does, it does not necessarily mean jiva parad. But it can be jivaparad also, depending on how we are saying that, from which place, from which voice, and from which place we are receiving that. Because if I am actually lazy, and I acknowledge my laziness, saying I'm lazy, <laughs> of course not over-identifying with that anartha, understanding the Atman in itself is not lazy, but in my particular condition situation, I'm falling into that trap, if you will. So to properly acknowledge that, it's not necessarily jiva aparad, but actually has to do with, uh, again, as acknowledging, ascertaining a particular um, entanglement, if you will, obstacle that needs to be recognized before being transcended. Mm. So in, in that line, we can, of course, replace lazy with many other things that we may see in ourselves as part of our uh, introspection, if you will, uh, as a part of our dealing with our shadow land, with our that side of us that needs still to be integrated, as I always say, the non-integrated complexity in the form of whatever laziness or deed or that or that. So now, if you are saying that to you in a negative way, destructive way, not constructive, not in the spirit of upgrading myself. Hmm? Well, in that sense, we could say somehow <clears throat> we could put that into the category of jiva parad. Although, generally, Bhakti Nautakur presents that notion in connection to other jivas. And, 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 like, he's trying to make this point, like, okay, you may take care of not offending Bhagavan, Srinam, and the Vaishnavas, but be careful that in the name of that, you just mistreat everyone else. And you stop being compassionate or kind or merciful, or respectful, with other living entities which are not Bhagavan, which are not Srimurti, Srinam, or Sri Vaishnavas, or Vaishnavas, I mean. So, that's the main point that Bhakti Nautakur wants to make, basically. Jiva Parad refers to that. Nonetheless, you have such a high ideal, you have to reflect that high ideal also in the way of how you relate with any every single person, every single even entity, no matter which species they are in. But of course, inside that particular definition, of course, we can extend that definition and uh, include ourselves. 
because we are also jiva. And of course, there's place for us mistreating us. Now, mistreating means basically, uh, yeah, going against our best interest, if you will, as, as Atman. Mm-hmm. And consciously and subconsciously, so many ways of doing that, criticizing ourselves in a way of indulging in victim consciousness, uh, trying to justify something that requires a change from us, and instead of doing that, we just like torture ourselves, if you will, as, as, a, as a, some form of, of relief, which of course there is no relief whatsoever, but sometimes people fall into that uh, easy trap, hmm, somehow. And, 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 and it's another way, as I always say, of remaining in the center, because in many of those cases, you are almost all day thinking about, I am this, I am that, and I am this, while you ultimately we are not... No, we are none, none of those things at all, as Atman. Of course, that anarta may be there, as I mentioned, needs to be transcended, but there is a place for acknowledging that and work on that from the perspective of being Atman and, and, and having a glimpse of our brightest potential. But if instead we just repeat, I am lazy, I am stupid, I am this, to the point that the only thing that sounds is, I am, I am in connection with that, probably we are promoting this false sense of I am and over-identifying ourselves with all of those upadis because none, that those are designations, basically. So, in that case, we may, we may consider that as a jiva paradi, like going against our best interest at, as Atman in, in, in connection to the prospect we have received in connection to bhakti. So, of course, in that sense, we are to treat ourselves better. But again, treat ourselves better doesn't mean just, oh, poor of me, I'm so special, or I'm so... Enter into some form of victim consciousness. But basically, having the, the courage to acknowledge what needs to be transcended, but do that from the perspective of who you really are, and what is the potential and prospect that has knocked on your door. And having all that in place helps you to have a detached view Mm-hmm. Uh, when when ad- addressing all those uh, temporary designations that are there yet, mm-hmm. so hope that helps. Some idea. So there's another question by Dial Nitai, but again, I will give some place to other questions as well as some of the questions that have been sent online. So I don't know if some of the ones connected here have an, uh, some some have some question whether a follow-up to this one or another one, so we can give space to you. And if not, I can continue with some some other question. Siamananda or Sakirati have some question? Pranam, Maharaj. Pranam. Um, I was just thinking, like, in, as a follow-up question, I mean, I, I think the answer, the answer will be pretty much the same. Uh, but it just came to mind now as you were answering that Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that uh, among the senses, I am the mind. And, uh, you know, then we hear from Bhakti Siddhanta that we should we should uh, beat the mind <laughs> every morning and evening. So, of course, that uh, I guess you have, to, you have to think in the same way about it as you were explaining now, right? Yeah, yeah we don't want to beat Krishna with, with our shoes 10,000 10, times every morning. That's... That's not our. 
our ideal. No? So that's a way, yeah, a way he's putting that in the context of <clears throat> what I'm trying to to explain that. No, so there is a place to see the same idea. Let's say mind, or let's say ourselves, or let's say whatever, as to something that needs to be disciplined or trans- transcended and so on. Negative. It's not negative, but to put that in some term, in those terms. But also the same thing can be connected and related with with Krishna as being represented in that same thing. So in other words, that is showing the the potential of that as well, as Krishna himself says in the Gita, Bandurat Matmanastasa Tasya Jinatmaivatmanajita Anatmanastu Satrutvit Bartitatmaiva Satrubat. For one who has controlled the mind, mind will be the best friend. For one who has failed to control the mind, mind remains the worst enemy. So the point is the same. Mind can be worst friend, best enemy. And of course, best friend, best friend, sorry, and worst enemy. And Krishna himself says in the Gita, Suhridam Sarbabhutanam, I am the best friend of everyone. So, and Krishna is the mind. But when he's saying I am the mind, doesn't necessarily mean all the weird stuff that may be, may be going in our uncontrolled mind. That's not the mind Krishna is identifying with, if you will. But when our mind is fully under under our control, it means our mind is basically reflecting Krishna there. It will be like a transparent medium, actually. It will act in a total favorable way to facilitate uh, Krishna's spurti there. Smaran and, and so on. Krishna will take full seat there. He's represented there, so... So yeah, when Prabhupada Bhaktisanta will say, let's beat the mind, of course he's referring to to basically try to dovetail or try to work with your worst enemy at present in such a way that someday you can say, instead of beating my mind with my shoes, I will offer 10,000 times pranam because Krishna is there. I, I have full insight about that. So yeah, basically the the same reply applies to this idea as well, but thanks for sharing this further contemplation. Interesting. Mm. <clears throat> and a nice way of, of course, trying to engage in this samambaya or sangati or reconciliation of facts and how we hear these two, two, two separate statements about one same reality which seem contradictory and somehow require harmony among themselves. You know? So that's a constant exercise that we need to engage in, this being one of many others. Okay, so I will continue with one of the questions in, in the list here. <clears throat> and of course, if you have any further questions, you, you can ask after. So I will go to one question now. Uh, the, the other one from Dial I will try to make it later. So we give time to everyone for presenting some questions. <clears throat> uh, so now we have a question from Balaram Prabhu from, from New Zealand. So this question has to do with the very first verse of Srila Rupa Goswami's uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So he's asking the following. In the very first verse of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, we are given two different translations of it. Can you please speak on the origin of these two meanings? Is this Rupa Goswami's own explanation or does it come later? from Jiva Goswami or Vishwanath Chakravarti and, and any other thoughts you have hmm. okay so 
This question has to do, again, with the very first verse of Sri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which of course is a very important, crucial granta for us, Gaudias. And um, it's a classical introductory verse, part of Mangala Charan, mm, uh, describing, if you will, the object of the book, in this case, Sri Krishna, who is the context of what the book speaks about Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu Krishna will be called Akila Rasamrita Murti, which is kind of uh, a, a, an extended detailed way in which Srila Rupa Goswami presents the Upanishadic concept of Rasu Vaisaha, Brahman, the absolute Asrasa, a sacred static rapture. Taitiriya Upanishad describes as such. The absolute is Rasa. And which are the implications of such statements? Sri Rupa Goswami plays them out, not only in this first verse, but along the whole treatise, Bhaktura Samrita Sindhu. But he begins saying, Akilara Samrita Murti. Those are the very first words of the Bhaktira Samrita Sindhu, interestingly, which somehow put in context everything that comes after this. Akila Rasa Amrita Murti, which refer, of course, to Krishna as the, <clears throat> how to say, like the, uh, complete, in brief words, uh, form or personification of rasa ambrita, of all nectarian forms of mellows or sacred aesthetic rapture, rasa, the concept of rasa. So the question has to do with the whole verse and two meanings of this verse that are uh, generally presented. So I will share the verse with you and I will share the two meanings and then I will address the, the question itself presented by um, Balaram Prabhu regarding the background of these two meanings. So the verse in itself says, Akila Rasamrita Murtihi Prasrimara Ruchi Rudha Tarakapali Kalita Shama Lalita Radha Preyam Jayati. So the very first meaning, which is kind of the, if you will, the, the most directly devotional one says that this speaks about Krishna and says Krishna who is the destroyer of all sin and the bestower of bliss the very form of the higher's bliss filled with all rasas excels all others in glory he brings Taraka and Palika under his control by the diffusion of his beauty he accepts Shamala and Lalita as his equals and gives pleasure to Radha by his excellent qualities. So, this is the first meaning, which speaks about Krishna, as you can see, in a very uh, overt way, direct way, evident way, and uh, describes some attributes connected to him, in connection to how he destroys sin, how he bestows bliss, how he is the very form of bliss, the very form of Ananda, Rasa Nanda, He's filled with all rasas, Akila Rasamrita Murtihi, and he excels all others, Jayati, in glory, or may he be glorious because of that. And then he speaks, gives different names of different gopis, presenting like a sequence of intimacy. First speaks about how he's controlling Taraka and Palika through his beauty. He subjugates that particular group of gopis. Then with gopis like Shamala and Lalita, he relates as equals, not as him superior in connection to the previous gopis, and finally to Radha, Radha Prayam. He gives pleasure 
to Sri Radha. Basically implies he's subservient to her. He bows his head unto the feet of Sri Radha. Only to her feet we hear that Krishna bows his head. So basically this is the, the description of the, the, the meaning of the first verse. Krishna with all these qualities in connection to different devotees, all this culminating, of course, in how he reacts or he acts in connection to his Purna Swayam Shakti Sridhada. So the second meaning of the verse, which uh, is presented also in the editions of the Bhaktura Samriti Sindhu, is kind of more indirect. Mm-hmm. And it speaks more in connection to some uh, phenomenon of this world, basically. As, as, we'll see, as, as we will see, as, as an attempt to give some reference point from our frame of experience in order to conceive that which is way beyond our pratyaksha, our plane of sensor, sensory perception, and actually deals with the aprakrita, with something that may seem similar to this plane, but it's way above even the, the generic transcendental platform. So the second meaning, instead of speaking about Krishna, we'll speak about the moon, Vidhur. So the full moon, which destroys suffering and creates happiness by its cooling rays, shines everywhere and it, with its excellent qualities and beauty. It is the very form of nectar, filled with all tastes. It eclipses the host of stars by its light, accepts the playful gestures of the night, and fondly enters the Vishaka constellation in the spring season. So, of course, as you may imagine, Sanskrit is a very flexible language in, in many ways, which allow for different interpretations of one, the same verse, the same words, can refer to different things. So here, of course, the very term, I won't go into full detail because that may take too much, and in that case I really suggest that whoever is interested may read uh, in detail the purport that Srila Jiva Goswami gives to this verse. If no, you don't have it, you can ask me. So, <clears throat> but basically here, the idea is, instead of speaking the word referring to Krishna here, refers to the moon. And Krishna many times is compared with the moon, Krishna Chandra, for many reasons. Again, the, the moon is destroying suffering, it's destroying darkness, in other words, by the ray of its lights. It's creating happiness. The, the moonlight is really soothing, refreshing, gives happiness. The ray is like cooling. It's, 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 the moon is called, is defined as, as, as something that provides uh, the experience of being refreshed. Mm-hmm. It's shining everyone with its excellent qualities and beauty. Nobody can doubt that when one sees full moon. Then it is the very form of nectar, as we know, filled with all tastes. Mm-hmm. Again, the parallel here Krishna's Rasamrita Murti, Akila Rasamrita Murti, filled with all rasa. But the moon, it is said that its very form is made of Amrita or nectar. And, for example, the vegetables and so on receive the moonlight, and the taste that we experience when ingesting them actually is bestowed by the moon, is shaving Shastra. So in that sense, it is said, the moon in itself is made of nectar, and those rays are part of the extension of the nectar and giving taste to, every, to the vegetables and so on in this world. And then it connects the moon with other luminaries, inferior, if you will, luminaries in the sky, and how the full moon or the moon in itself is eclipsing the host of stars by its powerful light, again comparing here again to Krishna 
subjugating some particular group of gopis. And then he has accepted the playful gestures of the night and finally enters the Vishaka constellation in the spring season, which is another way of referring to how he deals with the different gopis, as we mentioned before. So this is a framework to the answer to the question before actually the question of Balaram basically asks, if I can speak on the origin of these two meanings, if this Rupa Goswami's own explanation, or does it come later from Jiva Goswami, Vishwanachakavarti Thakur, or any other thoughts you have? <clears throat> well, not. It's, it is not Srila Rupa Goswami's own explanation, because Srila Rupa Goswami has not written an, an, an explanation of his own to his own verses in Bhaktara Sambhita Sindhu. He just wrote the verse in Sanskrit, to try to understand the verses in Sanskrit only, there is no explanation, there is no translation into any other language. The verse is there, the Sanskrit is there. Now the point is when you go to the verse, <laughs> which meaning do you find? Do you find there? Mm-hmm. So someone like Jiva Goswami found these two meanings actually. So it's Srila Jiva Goswami who, who presents these two possibilities of understanding the verse. Because he is the one who has commented first on Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Then we have the commentary on, of Vishmanacha Gurbarti Thakur, which in many parts closely follows that of Srila Jiva Goswami, and sometimes even it's all exactly the same commentary. So in this particular case, uh, all that it is being said in connection to the first verse is coming first and foremost from Srila Jiva Goswami. And he's the one who is in his purport, which is pretty long in connection to this verse. So that's why I'm recommending all of you to go through that in detail if you are interested. He gives these two explanations. So he's not giving the two translations, if you will, of the verse. Because Jiva Goswami didn't make a translation of the verses either. He made just a commentary. So since in the commentary he refers to these two possibilities, it is that when the book is translated into, let's say, English these two meanings are uh, entertained because Jiva Goswami is referring to these two. And what does Srila Jiva Goswami says uh, in his purport in connection to why a second meaning? Why he himself, Jiva Goswami, is presenting a second meaning? Because the first meaning is re- related to Krishna and as, as Akila Rasamrita Murti in his relation with the Gopi one could say that's pretty clear but he considers yes, but in one sense this is so aprakrita again, so super super transcendental, that nonetheless uh, it should be a good caution to put this in context and help the reader to further uh, grasp the implications of, of Krishna's Akila Rasamrita Muti by referring to some familiar, well-known experience in this world. So that's what Jiva Goswami says in his commentary. Basically say that after first describing the first meaning in detail, that, that's the meaning he describes in, in the greatest detail, he will say there's another meaning to the introductory verse by a play on words, by a pun. And the double meaning, Jiva Goswami continues, like of words, indicate, indicates a comparison, and by that he clarifies the meaning of the verse is further enhanced. So ultimately it's not only a cautionary measurement, but everything has to do with enhancing the, the, the relishment while reading the verse, the experience 
of the reader, the experience of, of himself as Srila Jiva Goswami as a commentator. So the meaning of the verse is further enhanced by this example. And he says, Though the subject of rasa is far beyond hmm, all common and extraordinary matters, again, aprakrita, super-transcendental, people's intelligence <clears throat> will comprehend it only by comparing with it with a specific uh, material object. Hmm? Thus, comparison can be made to some degree, taking into consideration some similar aspects of the object of comparison. Hmm? So that's what he's doing here. He's drawing... He's not just taking similar words. No? This word can mean Krishna, this word can mean moon. Hmm? But he's also considering not only the, the, the words can refer to these two things, but these two things are enough similar among themselves for for to draw a comparison, to draw a successful parallel between the two. And thus, it's not just about the one word matching two meanings, but these two meanings have considerable common attributes among themselves. And again, he's making the point, for most of people's intelligence, for conceiving that which is beyond the grasp of mind and senses, they need an initial uh, glimpse of that through some well-known experience in this world, basically. And that's why we find so many times throughout the Shastra, symbols, analogies, comparisons, which doesn't mean that we have to absolutize them and take them literally. But we should understand they are there to help us to grasp something that in certain stage may not be uh, fully we, we may not be fully able to grasp only by reading about Krishna in this case, for example. So we may need the comparison, the moon and this and that. And gradually we establish some connection with that, with some known experience. We don't feel too overwhelmed by something that we have no experience of. <laughs> and by that way, gradually putting some bridge and, and, and entering by the nature of the commentary and the empowerment in the words and the mercy of the author and commentators, gradually we are being carried hmm, by their mercy and bhakti samskara received for that into the ultimate or more deeper, deeper layers of the ultimate intention of this type of expressions. Hmm. So, some ideas regarding this very first verse of Sri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Hmm. I remember my Guru Maharaj gave a series of lectures about this very interesting, the very, if I'm not mistaken, it was the very last time he visited Argentina. So they are also there online for those interested with the Spanish translation as well. <laughs> and of course, if not, you can also go, go through the, <clears throat> again, the detailed uh, purpose of Trilajiva Goswami, which is, of course, amazing. Okay, so is there any question in the ones... Connected live as a follow-up question or something in another direction. If not, I can turn to some of the other questions present here, but just to give you also the chance to raise your hand and mute yourself or send a message. Do you hear me? Yes. It's Mirella. Yes. So if... Uh... If there is time, I ask one question. Yes. Um, yeah, if you remember, I asked you once about Rasa Lila and I didn't understand it. Yes, so, I remember. 
embarrassing for me to ask, and I will ask another embarrassing question <laughs> about uh, that uh, again. Um, I yeah, it it um, it becomes like an obstacle for my faith and for my understanding. I guess it's my logical mind, but whenever um, I hear and or read about some Lila or uh, and there are, for example, some I don't know creatures like uh, I don't know uh, like snakes or elephants or whatever. It sounds a bit surrealistic. Or, for example, Krishna's wives in Dwarka, sixteen thousand one hundred date, right? Uh, all of those details that I my mind cannot comprehend i find it difficult with those details and i know that guru maharaj says that uh, uh whenever you know when where our where logic stops faith faith goes further but mm -hmm. still i my faith i guess is is not that strong so i that's my question can you help me with that oh well I think it's good to, to have those experiences because uh, we need to put some stop to our, to our head. I mean, sometimes the head is like a wild beast, no? or, or, the, or, the, or the intellect is like a monster with unquenching thirst or, or, or extreme appetite. No? And like Krishna says in the Gita, Kama isa kroda isa sadmon, Kama isa kroda isa samud bhuva samud bhava. He describes calm, sometimes translated at last, as an enemy whose hunger is never satisfied. But calm also means desire, selfish desire, and, and we can apply that to the desire to know too much or to understand everything through the logic or head. So again, uh, on itself, it continues and continues and it's never satisfied. So, one way of giving full satisfaction to that tendency, of course, is to knowing where to put that to rest, basically, not to, 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 to put that in front of a reality that is too overwhelming to, to try to enter only with that particular tool, tarka or logic. Mahabharata says, Tarka pratishtanat, srutayu vina, nasabri sirjasya matamna vina. So Mahabharata say, Tarka or logic doesn't take you anywhere, basically. <laughs> because the point is, what does seem logic to you, I mean, logic unto itself is not necessarily logic. You follow? I mean, for you, something may be logic, but for other person, that's not logical at all. For a serial killer, it's logic to kill, I don't know, all black people or all Jews or all whatever. It's totally logical. And he has his own way of explaining that and justifying that and, and, and playing that out, acting out, out his logic, quote-unquote. So in that sense, the point, it say that logic is never fully satisfying because even you can be a genius, a great logician and present your own system and other one will present another one. And the Mahabharata kind of, uh, <clears throat> even sarcastically say, One is not considered a Rishi unless one differs, differs in opinion from other Rishi. So that's kind of the adhikar for being a Rishi. You have to 
to argue against the other Rishi and have another opinion and have another opinion and have another opinion and and then you are as accepted into the circle of of, thought, of thinkers or something. <laughs> but actually, of course, the Mahabharata says that Masitatvam Nihitam Uhayam, but the very secret of Dharma is hidden within the cave and that's within the cave of the saints. Therefore, Mahajana Yena Gatasapanta. So one should follow the, the path that, that these great Mahajans, great persons, have traveled. That's a way to reach the very essence of reality. So it takes us from logic, through all these ideas, to follow in the footsteps of the sadhu. So, so yes, <clears throat> it's good, to, again, as, as I say in the beginning, it's good to, to be put in this situation with our logic is kind of short-circuiting. No? Like you hear Krishna has 16,108 wives. And you can take that further because if, if you read that section, it's interesting because the Bhagavatam makes the narration special for you to, to short-circuit, actually. Because the Bhagavatam is not only saying Krishna had that number of wives. That's just a little short-circuit. But then it will describe how he married all of them simultaneously at the same time. Uh, and he was present in different the same number of palaces, and he was, and there were, it was not many Krishnas. Actually, it's the same person. And Narada Muni was running to one place for the other to see if he was catching Krishna in one place and not in the other. <laughs> but actually, he realized Krishna is present in all of them. But there are not many Krishnas at the same time. It's only one because he's indivisible. And interestingly, not only was Krishna in every place, but all of the associates of Krishna were present in, in different expansions in all of those palaces and marriages. So, of course, at this time, Mirella is just setting fire her head, basically. And that's the idea of the Bhagavatam. <laughs> no? like, like to take to a point where we realize, I cannot enter with my head up here. I have to put my head down. And, of course, this doesn't mean force your head to accept this as a logical fact. Because it is not logical. But it is not illogical either, because again, we have to bear in mind, we are speaking about God here. We are not speaking about an ant or an insect or an ordinary human being with limited capacities. So over and over again, this is simple, no? this sounds simple, we are speaking about God and God can do whatever He likes. But we have really to live in the implications of that. So what does it mean to approach someone? like God, I mean, which are the possibilities in approaching such a person? W what can happen if I'm trying to, I mean, not like something to be scared at all, just something about to be open to other possibilities that do not necessarily conform with the way we are used to deal with people, things, reality. So over and over again, the Bhagavatam is putting this idea, try to gradually Understand that the way you are dealing with everything around you is not the same way you should be dealing with God. At the same time, God is so generous that He approaches you as much as a human as He can be in His human-like pastimes in a very similar way, in many ways, as, as our human experience. But be careful of like, mixing all that and thinking that's exactly the same of what I'm seeing as a human, because it's not. So these type of things are in between in the Bhagavatam, this interwoven of 
Madhurya and Aishwarya. Madhurya and Aishwarya. You hear some Leelas of Krishna where he's running and learning to crawl and, 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 and crawling, sorry, and learning to walk and, and, and things that you, are, you do not feel overwhelming your logic. You just feel charmed. Like, oh, how nice, this baby. But at one point he will open his mouth and his mother will see universes inside and another universe inside and herself inside. So at, at one point you are like, wow. At that point, the short circuit starts. <laughs> and after that, again, you have him in picnic with his friends and everything is nice, like when you are with your friends, but suddenly he expands in the form of all the calves and all the friends and all thunders of Narayan. So again, short circuit starts. <laughs> and again, you go back and Krishna is with the gopis and he's dancing in the forest and there's music and song and celebration, something so nice for us humans. But suddenly we hear he's expanding what, uh, for every single gop in between. Uh, so again, we, we have this very perfect and expert narrative of Madhurya and Aishwarya put together. So as we feel enough charmed by, by the, the content of Krishna Lila in the context of human life, but also with the proper dose of Aishwarya for us not to mistake and think, oh, this is human or ordinary human narrative so our head is not trying to just grasping it all but knows where to bound down so we know brahma prayed in that way he said i have to leave this attempt of trying to understand everything with my four heads and the best thing i can do with my head is put that on the ground and offer pranam unto this greatest personality so so whenever we still experience some short circuit, we shouldn't, on one side, torture ourselves for sure, uh, because of still we feel that. We should not insist in that direction and trying to subjugate the lila to our head. No? Like, it's not fitting, it's not fitting, and you just insist trying to make the whole lila reality fit in your head, and you insist, and you insist, and... It doesn't work like that, so you shouldn't do that as well. So, of course, the, the remaining option is to humbly acknowledge, okay, still my logic speaker too loudly, <laughs> uh, and that's a symptom of, of some work I need to do, some homework is there, so I'm happy to to be reminded of that. No? That's a way of deal, dealing with that. And at the same time, I, I know that indirectly I realize how this reality of Krishna Lila so I was saying that at, this, at the same time, this is showing us how the reality of Krishna Lila is. Indirectly, we are being reminded that that is way beyond our logic, because every time we try to approach that with logic, we feel kind of rejected by the gatekeepers there. So that's reminding us, showing us, this is not the way to enter there. This is not the way to enter there. And, and, and the way to enter there, again, is, as, as our Gurmash will say, try to understand that you cannot understand. That's a big insight. That's not so simple. That's not so simple. Try to, to understand. You cannot understand. And then you start to understand something. To understand that you cannot understand is already a big understanding. And after that big initial understanding, you start to wonder, okay, I cannot understand. But, but there's another way to understand all these things. Not through the classical means of understanding stuff. But again, by... Deeper humility by prayer, by submission, by service, 
by Sharanagati. Basically, there are so many verses in Shastra, I don't want to, to make it long by quoting them, but that speaks about how whenever, or, or as much as we surrender to Bhagavan, we will receive all the necessary knowledge, understanding of things. Vasudevi Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayoyita Janayatya Suvairagyam Yanam Chayadahaitukam By engaging in Bhakti, knowledge and detachment will come by its own. And Badami Buddhi Yoga Many verses Krishna says, if you surrender to me, I will give you inspiration, I will give you enlightenment, I will give you understanding. So no need to try to, to, to force yourself into the higher domains of reality by logic and understanding. Because again, Tarka Pratishtana, if you insist only through logic, and this is not only for Mirella for sure, if you only depend on logic, Apratishtana means there is no position for you. You remain in some sort of limbo. And we don't want to end up in, the, in a limbo. That's desperating. So, so yes, try to, 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 to take this, this section of the Bhagavatam as especially, not as something that we sh- should avoid. Of course, maybe we shouldn't also force us, I only will read those sections, so because those are the more difficult for me, and because it may be too much to only concentrate in that. But not to all, also not to reject them, uh, because it's, it's nice to be reminded of that principle and to, to deeply think about... Uh, the reach of our intellect and, again, the necessity of faith to take us beyond that reach. No? So, some words, I hope that that helps. Thank you so much for the question. Okay, so I'll continue with some of the questions uh, presented, sent to me during the week. Uh, there is a somehow related question, the second one sent by Dial Nitai from Bulgaria, so I'll go with that one, and, and then we will see how much time we have for, for remaining questions. So he says, I try to accept my level and imperfections, but still feel either hypervigilant not to make new mistakes, or feel dejection. Can you give an advice? Hmm. So, again, a little bit in connection to what we were speaking somehow, if you will, in one level. Because one may perceive, okay, I'm having this problem, I'm having this lack of capacity, and entering into this particular constellation that Alinta is de- describing here. <coughs> so I will say that, <laughs> how to say, of course we try to accept our level and imperfections, but if we still feel hypervigilant not to make any mistakes or feel dejection, I would say that we are not still accepting too much our level and imperfections. <laughs> I, trust you are, I trust that you are trying, for sure. But that the, and, and of course, the, to try is to, to, in a sincere way, with proper guidance, implies that in time we will do that more and more perfectly. But, again, to try, it's not, ne- not necessarily we have a right already there. So the point is to really, <clears throat> if we accept where we are, if we accept the imperfections that still are there, if there's real acceptance, mm. naturally we, we wouldn't be hypervigilant 
nor discouraged because all those are symptoms that we are not accepting all those things yet. <laughs> we have still some like defensive mechanism no? in relation to ourselves. I'm not allowing myself to be like that. And again, it's, it's my, this is a general answer because every person has different ways in which all this plays out. But I will, I will ask myself the question, if I have this problem, okay, I'm hypervigilant. I'm trying to accept my level, my adhikar, my present situation. I, I, I try to acknowledge my shortcomings and, and, and limitations. But I'm still hypervigilant not to make new mistakes. So I will, as, as, as usually we should to do, we should do, I will go one step further and ask myself the question, why? What's the reason behind my hypervigilance not to make new mistakes? What I am afraid of if I commit a new mistake? What's, what's the problem in committing a mistake? What's the danger? If I feel danger, if I feel threatened, if I feel fear because of committing a mistake, I mean, try to go deeper into your subconscious, to the to the background that is motivating, actually motivating your your actions, emotional reactions. Because someone might say again, I feel hypervigilant, and we may remain stuck, remain stuck there, but we don't go behind that to the root of that. So what's taking us to be hypervigilant? To not make mistakes. Why do we are not allowing ourselves to commit mistakes? We are we're so much on guard against new mistakes, which are the what the problems are that we think may happen if we commit mistakes. Someone else may see us and, and, and we will feel, I don't know, ashamed that someone realizes that we are committing new mistakes. We may feel uh, fearful of being rejected by not being able to learn the lesson and we will think that other people will consider us too stupid because we still make new mistakes instead of uh, whatever making new things that are not mistakes <laughs> but again all this may be rooted with with a misunderstanding of what progress means because I mean to, to progress in life and to progress in spiritual life one way of defining that is that you will keep committing new mistakes, but they may be higher mistakes. But but the point is, since they are new, <laughs> you may be afraid of committing them because you realize there are mistakes, but they are new. Actually, they are not new. They are a, a more refined version of the more grotesque mistake you were committing one week ago, basically. <laughs> No? But since appears in, in this updated way, oh, a new mistake is coming. No? I don't want people to, to see that I'm indulging in this new thing. They will see, oh, I'm still... It, it feels like you are accepting more mistakes, accepting new mistakes, if you will. But it's not that you are accepting new mistakes, but you are refining all the most gross version of yourself that was there into a more refined one, and that takes the form of a more refined mistake, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, it's important to understand what's going on in that moment. Do you follow? To understand, to have a proper viewpoint of what's really taking place. Because all that is taking place in the imperfect way. That's a symptom of your progress. 
you should be celebrating that experience. You are advancing by the grace of Krishna. But instead of organizing a Mahotsav and celebrate that, you are getting discouraged and, and feel dejected and, and feel ashamed and fearful that any... I hope anyone, anyone does not look that, but actually we should be open for others to acknowledge that because that will be a symptom of, of our progress. Not, of course, I want others to see that and, and, and see how great I am because our progress is not by our own merit also. We should understand that by, by the power of grace. We are able to understand something. We are able to, to advance. So, again, we should not be uh, hyper-vigilant to not to make new mistakes because that's progress about. I mean, you cannot progress without making new mistakes. Try to get that point. Sometimes we have this like perfectionist idea that to make progress is to stop committing mistakes or to commit less mistakes than the ones I was committing yesterday. Not necessarily. Again, you will commit new mistakes <laughs> and those new will be higher, if you will. But since they are new, you will just maybe subjectively experience them as mistakes. <laughs> no, you, you may not feel these are higher mistakes. I'm getting closer to my goal. You may just feel, oh, another mistake. Oh, this is a new one. I didn't have this one. <laughs> but it's important to understand what's really taking place and, and, and not feel dejected or, or not feel fearful because if, if you are, of course, sincere and doing things properly, as, as, I, as I trust you are doing, in your particular case, for sure. So I think it's good to try like to... Uh, how to say, not only get stuck again in the emotional reaction, but also like like to make a breakdown, if you will, to break down all the different elements of what's going on, detach ourselves from that emotional reaction and extract like the active principle behind that, asking these questions, no? why I'm feeling like that, what is really happening here, because we can read a particular situation from a particular narrative and the same situation for a very different narrative. And that's what spiritual education is about. That's what Shastra is about. That's what inquiry, receiving knowledge and Sambandha Gyan is about. That we get educated so whenever we go through a particular experience, we are able to read that experience through another lens, through the lens of knowledge, Gyan Chakshus, through the eyes of revelation. So, some ideas. Again, I know that's not easy in practice, but by by having this type of these types of um, advices, I hope those may help us to put pause, take a distance from the situation, and really understand what's actually taking place. Okay, uh, I have two more questions here. I don't know if I will be able to go through all of them, but I don't know if you have any other questions there, whether follow up questions or any other questions on the words connected. <clears throat> Too many books here, and I'm only one in one room. <laughs> okay, so no questions. I'll continue with some of the questions sent here. At least one more. Let's see if we get to get to the remaining two. A question from Purna Chandra Prabhu, also from Bulgaria. 
So he's asking, is there a difference? There are kind of two questions, or one question in two parts. Is there a difference in the mood of serving the gopis on the one hand, or, or, or in the mood of service, I will say, of the gopis on one hand, and Prahlad Maharaj on the other, considering that the circumstances in which they reside are radically different. And the second part of my question is, does Krishna create the circumstances in which we serve Him, or does we, He give complete freedom for the devotees to express their nature and respond to them accordingly? Okay, so, especially the second part may take considerably long, longer time to reply, but I will share some brief reply in this case since we are almost an hour speaking here. But the first part, if I understood it correctly, is saying if there is some difference in the mood of serving the gopis, I don't know, I'm not, it's not clear for me if it has to do with the mood of us serving them or in the mood that they are serving Krishna. But whatever the case, <laughs> the, the question has to do with the mood of service to the gopis of, or, or from the gopis, and on Prahlad Maharaj on the other side. So, in both cases, I will say yes. Is, a, is there a difference? When we use the word mood, of course, the word, the technical term for this is bhava. So, there is a particular way in which the gopis are serving Bhagavan, and there is a particular way in which Prahlad Maharaj is serving Bhagavan. And by extension, there is a particular way in which anyone who wants to serve the gopis will serve them, and anyone who may feel affinity towards Prahlad Maharaj's mood and wants to serve him, if you will, will serve him. One thing, one part of, of, of the point kind of replies the other, because it's all about bhava, it's all about honoring the mood, the prevailing mood, living to honor that. That's very, very important to honor the principle of, of, of bhava or rasa. And that's why we Godias put so much care into how we can see each particular form of the Absolute uh, and how we can see our relationship with that particular form according to the parameters of tattva, siddhanta, rasa tattva and so on. For example, Mahaprabhu is not conceived by us uh, as someone who we can relate to in, in paramour love. As it's, as it's the case with Krishna and Vrindavan. Although he is Krishna, he is Braja Krishna, he is in a particular mood in the, in the Navadip Lila, in the Gaur Lila. So we are not to disturb the mood, but actually we are to enhance the mood. If we want to participate in Lila Seva, ideally the only, the only intention for participating there is to enhance the mood, basically, to make the whole Lila reach a new height of experience. Of course, we are, in one sense, we are nobody. To I, it all depends on me. I will go there and make the whole lila be enhanced. But at the same time, there is nothing else we can do being there by the arrangement, of course, of Swarup Shakti, Yoga Maya. No, it's not that we are the only ones doing the whole thing, but we will be instrumental for that to happen in, in connection with so many other, of course, participants of the drama. So it's very important. We are not. We should. We are not to disturb hmm, the particular mood in which every devotee is, 
but we are to enhance that. We have Bhagavatamrita is a classical example of that, and, and, and I always like that because that's the very first book of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. So it kind of puts in context what Gaudiya Sampradaya is about. Of course, it's about a very specific mood at the end. It converges in a very particular conception of the Godhead. But when reaching that mood, that goal, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, if you will, in the form of Gopakumar, <laughs> is going through so many other moods, so many other universes and devotees, and, and universes made of a particular mood. And he's, of course, he's being carried by his own mood, so sometimes being carried by his mood, he ends up disturbing the local mood and not enhancing that. But it's not that he has that intention for sure. It's just he's being carried by that. Like for example, when he reaches Baikuntha, and and of course there is a particular prevailing mood there, Aishvarya, towards Narayan. And when he sees Narayan through the, his eyes of his mood, Baba Netra, the eyes of his mood, uh, he sees Krishna and he shouts Gopal and runs to embrace him. So everyone in Baikuntha becomes Sakunta or full of anxiety. <laughs> but of course we are not faulting Gopakumar or he's not enhancing the mood of Vaikuntha, he's agitating them. No, because that happens as divine arrangement being carried by his own bhava. Now, if you have bhava and whenever he realized where he was, of course he was careful not to disturb anyone's mood and faith there. But also he was careful of enhancing his own mood. So going back to the question, yes, the gopis are in a very particular mood. And Prahlad Maharaj is in a very particular mood. We cannot really make the two of them the same. Generally, even these two and others, of course, in between, are presented as classical examples of different hierarchy, if you will, objectively speaking, of approach to Bhagavan. Like Prahlad, uh, Hanuman, Uddhava, Pandavas, uh, and so on. Just showed and so on, and eventually the gopis. So they are generally depicted as paradigmatic figures connected these levels of relationship. So it all begins with Prahlad, actually, <laughs> and it all ends with the gopis, in one sense. So in one sense, we have these two on the, on the two ends of the spectrum. So it's, it's clear that it's, it's not about the same the mood of service. And again, the difference between the two is in mood of service, because the two have Prem, the two are, if you will, pure devotees or represent something totally transcendental, but... Inside that, there are so many possibilities. So, I hope I understood the question, the first part of the question. And some words regarding the second part, which asks, Does Krishna create the circumstances in which we serve Him, or does He give complete freedom for the devotees to express their nature and respond to them accordingly? Well, there are different ways to, uh, to reply to this. <clears throat> of course, we could take the, te- the, the stance of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and say that Krishna has, uh, like, gave all responsibility of his Kripa Shakti to his devotees, and they are administering this Kripa Shakti and Bhakti Shakti flowing through them, and whenever Bhakti is flowing, Krishna has to go. And, and in that sense, he has no, no choice in the matter, and so on. That's a way of replying to that, but I will reply in a more basic way and um, regarding to this question, because I think that will help to understand the, <coughs> the other not-so-basic way. 
which asks, does Krishna create the circumstance where we can serve him or he gives complete freedom to the devotee to express their nature? I will say that when we speak about Krishna and when we speak about devotees, we are speaking about individual entities. Of course, one is the supreme Ishwar and source of everything, <laughs> and Satya Sankalpa, whatever he wants happens. Another one is us, which it's clear fact that whatever we want does not happen. Because whatever we want is not what we should want. Huh? So that's what is not happening, basically. When we really know what we want, really know what we need, what we want, then such as patwa or, or this capacity of whatever we desire will happen, that will happen. But, but that's not happening now, because if that will happen, the whole planet Earth will no longer remain now. Try to multiply... All, all the, 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 the totally distorted desires of unlimited living entities, imagine that all, all of those things that they wanted happen at once, I mean, immediate explosion, total devastation, immediate, in, in, the, in, the, spot, in the spot. So, of course, we don't have, the, the word free will sometimes is, is tricky because we don't have free will in our particular situation. Free will, no? with this mean. We have will. But how much, how free is that? I mean, how, how much capacity we have again of doing whatever we like and that's happening? Well, that will have to do as, as in connection to how free we are from the gunas and so on. But my point is, we are individuals with agency and that with agency, kartritwa. So we, are, we have, a, there's place for our individual expression. But also Bhagavan is an individual with free will for sure <laughs> so it's not black and white it's not like Krishna is doing everything and we have no choice whatsoever in the matter but it's all. It's not also like no he's not doing anything and we are doing whatever we like or something like that but it's a combination of will of course our will has to be uh, how to say wisdomized <laughs> no but it has to be informed by revelation, and we are to exercise our will uh, on the proper environment and the proper education, if you will, and choose in the proper direction. So that that's the idea. And as, as I sometimes say, using the example of the devotee, we uh, we 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 were we didn't choose originally to become Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It was not part of our free will. In the, in, at one point, but the Vaishnava chose to, in his or her free will, he chose to deliver Krishna Bhakti to us. So our free will was like interrupted, mercifully interrupted, by the free will of a sadhu. It was, I mean, we were not choosing that, but the sadhu chose, here, the, here it goes. <laughs> In some form or another, in the form of a lecture, of a words, of a book, or whatever. And, and in our will, we chose, okay, what do I do with that? Do I accept that? Do I embrace this that is coming from the will of the other person, or, or not? I mean, you can choose to totally reject costless mercy. There is place for that. I mean, that's not the idea, but... <laughs> Costless mercy doesn't mean that we have no choice in the matter. Costless mercy basically means we are receiving something that we do not deserve. 
but still it's coming. But still we have our will to choose what to do with that. Srila Siddhar Maharaj will say in his words, the only thing that Krishna is asking from us is a little bit of collaboration from our part to accept his gift. So that's a way of put this, this reply. No, that's our will. What do, we, do, what do we have to do? Just extend your hand and, and receive the, the treasure, basically. That's our part. That's our sadhana. <laughs> try to open yourself. Try to trust in the one who is giving you the gift, basically. Do not fear the giver. That's another way of putting that. <laughs> do not fear the giver. Do not fear. Do not mistrust the one who is giving you the treasure. That's your part of the deal. Bhagavan is doing the, the, the whole rest. He's finding the treasure, bringing the treasure, extending the treasure, waiting with the treasure in hand till you finally put your hand and receive it. <laughs> and so, so, so the, two of, the two parts are exercising their will. So Krishna again may create a circumstance in which we can serve Him, but we are also to, to choose that. You follow. For example, Krishna created a favorable circumstance for you to surrender to Him many times in your life, sometimes in the form of complex circumstances. But we were not, we didn't choose for whatever reason, or were not able to see whatever the case. We didn't choose or saw that as a favorable circumstance to serve Krishna. So we rejected that. We use our will to not embrace that circumstance, even though there was a higher arrangement for that circumstance to come. And maybe after that circumstance came 108 times, we realized, oh, it seems this is helping me. So you accept that. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm, I'm explaining, replying to this question in connection to, to conditioned souls of Tusadakas, if we want to apply, reply to this in connection to Krishna's Nitya Parikars or pure devotees, that, that's another whole thing. We have to speak in terms of Sandini Shakti, and the existential potence in the spiritual world, which uh, allows the whole stage for the Lila to be there, mm. and, 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 and Sandini, Sambit, Ladini, all these ingredients of Swarup Shakti, of course, are orchestrating all the movements in the, in the Parabyam, and of course each devotee, according to their nature, as the question says, will interact and Krishna will reciprocate accordingly. In that case, we will speak... Yeah, mostly in terms of Yoga Maya, divine orchestra director. But I, I, I consider it more practical to speak more from, from, from our side. No? So and from our side, even though we are not siddhas, as sadhakas, uh, if, if you are sincerely trying to surrender as a sadhaka, Krishna himself will take personal responsibility for each, each one of those devotees. So... But again, it's our, it's in, it's, we have our will to, to choose what to do with the circumstances that are coming to us. Because if you are in the process of surrender, you, <coughs> you ideally have this faith. Hmm? Uh, Whatever is coming to my life now as a bhakta is not, is not only a result of my previous deeds, but Krishna is packaging this particular reaction in such a way for it to be favorable to my bhajan, 
for it to nourish my surrender. So that's how a surrendered person will think. Someone with faith. So in, in that context, the person will embrace that particular situation, that circumstance. And the person won't like oppose or reject that particular circumstance. It's okay. Almost finishing. Thank you. So, I will say that again, Krishna is facilitating a particular scenario, but still we are to to express our will in that connection, because that's what love is about. It's a voluntary affair where will remains the norm, if you will. That's what gives love, make, I mean, give, allows love to, to make sense, if you will. <laughs> it's a voluntary choice from two parts. And, every, and the more they love, the more free they are to express their will fully from both sides. You know, Krishna and the devotee. Anyhow, some thoughts uh, regarding this. So, uh, I don't know if there's any question from the words connected in connection to this one because we are almost on time. But just in case there is some follow-up inquiry, we may close with that. And there is one more question, but I will leave that for next uh, next week. Hmm. Okay, so it seems we are done for today. So thank you very much to all of you for your being there. And next Thursday we will be, if everything goes well, in Brindavan. So Ankarti will have started at that point. So I hope to be able to continue connecting. I say I hope because I'm not so sure about the Wi-Fi connection in the place where I will be staying there in Brach. But somehow I'll try to make the best possible arrangement to 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 find the connection, so I can connect with all of you at least once a week from from there, and we continue sharing our experiences in Kartik. So I hope you may properly be focusing yourself before this very very important month of the year, the most important I will say, where we can really go deeper into our sense of purport and purpose in purpose, I will say, in our life as sadhakas and receiving extra blessings, extra mercy by committing ourselves in a deeper way to our sadhana, to our practice, inner ideals and so on. So my prayers and best wishes to all of you and may you take the best possible advantage of this Kartik month as to upgrade your condition as sevakas. And please bless me so I may also try to follow in those footsteps so thank you very much and see you next Thursday Sri Gurudev Ki Jai Shriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktavrinda Ki Jai Gaur Priman Haribo